Hi, everybody. Welcome back to season three of Crime at the Family Table. I am your host, Latanya, and I am joined as usual, but back and better than ever, my co-host, uh, Alyssa. Hello, people. We're back. We're bike. I love saying it. <laughs> <laughs> season three. I can't believe it. But we're still we're still trucking. We still trucking, still going. The little the little podcast that could is happening. Also, happy new year and Merry Christmas and the holidays that have passed as you celebrate. Um, well, we're starting off this new year a little a little different. One, I'm under the weather. So I'm gonna sound congested and probably not like myself. I am currently drinking tea and theraflu to help hopefully get me back on and popping. Please, y'all, wear your mask, social distance, because, you know, it's happening. It's real. This thing is not over. It ain't <laughs> a fat lady thing, as they say. So, but, like, I'm so happy to be back. Like, I didn't want to push this back, like, anymore, because I was like, oh, we can start the season. Like, I was so excited to really get back into recording, and I missed Alyssa, and this time we spent together here and because last season like you know she was on her leave and you know she she you know came back to me all chipper and happy and I'm so grateful to have her back and to be back here so Alyssa how are you feeling how was your holidays I'm feeling great uh my holiday was good because you know I've got a almost three-year-old now so she's aware of like Santa Claus and um actually I don't know how much she truly believes in Santa Claus but she knows that Santa Claus brings presents so she was like I just want Santa Claus to bring me presents so that was exciting about the the Christmas holiday new year I feel like 2023 is really going to be a great year um and I'm hoping that 2023 is going to be the expansion of our podcast the like what's the word I'm looking for like it's just gonna take off and we're gonna really like dive into it and, and really be like dedicated and really go hard this year I really feel like this is gonna be a great year for us yeah I, yeah I definitely cannot like press this more is that I really feel like this year is going to be definitely the expansion of what we do here um, we will let you guys know like as that comes along, but we really want to dedicate more time and more just, you know, more resources to what we do here because we really want to expand it because this really is a topic that we think is, you know, important to talk about, but and and not for, you know, the glorification of what is happening, but just to have these conversations because it so often goes like unnoticed, like these crimes happen, but there's other things. There's so many layers in the behind the scenes. And I felt like, you know, early on in our show season, like we weren't able to really touch on that. But the more we go along, we'll be able to like open that up and like pull more. And I hope that you guys see that as we grow, that we are becoming more knowledgeable. We are becoming mm -hmm. research-based. Um, in a sense, like, so we're bringing more of our academic backgrounds and things into what we talk about. And it's not just about the case, but the other key components of our cases. 
So yeah, like we have a new format coming up. So we hope that you guys enjoy it. This will probably be our format going forward from now on. Is as if things change, we will, you know, continue to let you know to expect those changes. But right now we're really going to just try to keep the format that we're um that we're thinking about going and because we think it will definitely balance what we have going on. We will keep the same format as previously of us going back and forth week by week, every other week, um, each one of us uh having our turn, but we're adding more things to make it a more seamless podcast experience for you guys. More conversational. And like you were saying before, Ed, a more uh, dynamic conversation that ties in our educational background so we can actually like bring more of ourselves and what we do on a day-to-day from the true true crime podcast world because you know there are you know of course news stations they have their podcasts but of course like you expect like that's what they do but having people that are experts like experts in a certain realm especially in the social working realm is I think is essential because a lot of what we do is groundwork Mm -hmm. and so we work in communities and we see the we see the money that is kind of spent on the community and in in the justice system and in and if that's 100% true that those systems are actually protecting so and and that's not even just talking about policing it's just talking about the whole system of like the medical system or the psychiatrist that we go to the the police social workers therapists like there's so many different components of like safety nets in our community that are supposed to be the institutions of protection are but there's so many feelings in the system and I feel like from where we come from we definitely see it from a we see it from the ground we know what that looks like we bring something different and unique a different voice and we're super excited to be back and we're super excited to just jump in and give you what we got so without further ado we're gonna start our podcast off so hopefully you like it um please uh you know follow us on our um podcast so you can get notified of when like when we post and like when our new episodes are dropping we plan on dropping every um wednesday by 8 p.m so please um and eastern standard time so be prepared for that east eight o'clock east coast time because as we've looked at our analytics we do have people from all over the world Mm-hmm. So, even though it's like our one and two percents, but they all still matter because you know that gets them the opportunity to listen out. So, and yeah, like I said, without further ado, we are going to start out. So, a lot of stuff has happened, like kind of over the past few months, and over like in the news meet in like the news cycle, like we. We recently had like the death of one of the Migos, um, Mm -hmm. Takeoff, who tragically was murdered at a community event that he was in with his uncle, Quavo, um, who was another member of the Migos. And tragically, like, you know, he lost his life to gun violence. And it brings to the table... Like, I feel like a huge conversation of one, gun violence is going on. Mm -hmm. The celebrities coming 
into coming back into the into the quote unquote hood and the desensitization of of our society due to so, due to so much tragedy that we see on a day-to-day basis and the desensitization of i guess black people especially when it comes to gun violence because um, after he was tragically murdered, there was video that was going around of him murdered. And this is not the first time I've heard about this when it comes to celebrities. It's not the first time I've heard about this when it comes to a person. That people whip out their phones immediately. And before the news can even touch ground, you have people that were there as witnesses whose phones have caught the incident and you see it which means that person's family also may see it before they are even notified. And it's not like, I could understand if people had video, like, um, like, you know, when you record something as evidence, like you're a witness to this thing and you want it recorded to help. These people are recording these tragic events and posting them on their social media. Some people are doing it for clout, attention, views, likes, whatever. But like you were saying, the truth of the matter is these people's families haven't even seen anything or heard anything. And they're having to find out from social media that their loved one is dead. And not only that, now they can they can get the footage, which is so traumatic. And it's terrible. And these rappers are dropping like flies. Yeah, like, and these black rappers are really, you know, we see it's so crazy because, you know, growing up, like, being from the 90s, when I seen rappers come up, like, I remember, like, the rise to fame that Jay Z took. Mm-hmm. I remember him catapulting into success, like, at an early age to see the vision of success. But something that was very different from his going to success that I don't think exists now, and I think because of the accessibility that celebrities have, is that is that celebrities are now too accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, one, via through their social media and through their actual physical location. A lot of the times we see celebrities and they are so busy trying to it's this idea like that the community like sometimes can want them to like prove this thing that they're so tough and they've done all these things and I think that they try to do some of these things and I'm not saying this is for this is for takeoff like or any other but I'm saying that the way the culture is around like music black black music artists especially rappers like the black comedians that we see on tiktok is that they have to go back into the hood mm-hmm. and which can literally leave them vulnerable because a lot of the time once you've reached a certain pinnacle of success you do you should have security you should have these safety nets available um and it's scary because people are like oh it's the crab in the barrel mentality well truth be told the barrel shouldn't even exist. We no crab should even be in the barrel. That is not the natural environment for a crab to be. Crab is meant to be in the ocean. So that's that. You have people that are being forced into circumstances, being pushed into smaller and smaller um communities due to gentrification, mm-hmm. impoverished community that that is 
reaping the scraps of capitalism, but holding capitalism to a high regard. And you are the pinnacle of what we believe the hope is as the celebrity. And then when you come down and it's this idea of like robbing you or hurting you because they believe, quote unquote, you're showing off just by being there. And it's so sad because, like, you see the Jay-Zs and the P. Diddy's and stuff like that. It's the idea that, like, they don't necessarily always come back to the communities that they went to before without security. Oh, please. Especially, like you said, back in the 90s, like, rappers weren't doing that. The The point was to make it out the hood. Like, mm-hmm. and although some of them go back for, like, charity work or, like, community building, they're not just chilling and hanging out in their own hood you might catch them on mtv what's that show they used to come on like a kind of like an mtv cribs thing but they <laughs> you might catch them like this is my neighborhood this is where i grew up at this is where i used to play basketball at this is the community center but you're not they're not they're kicking it on a regular basis with hundreds of thousands of dollars of diamonds around their necks with no security like that wasn't that wasn't a thing that Jay-Z or Diddy, like you said, were doing. Once they made it out the hood, they, they stayed out the hood. Now, whether they can go back and forth, you know, for whatever reason, I I heard that Jay-Z can't go back to his old hood. Like he's not welcome or safe there or whatever. That's just what I heard many moons ago. But that wasn't a thing back then. And these, these current rappers are like... I don't know if they're more comfortable, like you said, because they're more accessible or because of the way they came up. Like, that's what it it makes me think. Like, back in the day, (laughs) which makes me sound so old, but back in the day, like, you had to put in work. Like, you couldn't just go viral and then get famous. Like, you had to, you had to do artist development. You had to get discovered. You had to, like, send people your demo tape and things like that. Now, which is great, but now you can make a video and go viral. You can post uh, something on YouTube or Instagram, and now you're the next hottest thing smoking. Right. But you're still, you still haven't had any development as an artist, as a person to be like, hey, you're now on a level where, no, you're not better than anybody else, but you're now on a level where you have to kind of move differently right. than you were before. And you might not be able to kick it in your hood no more because you got money and people especially these days are desperate for the come up they're desperate to keep up with whoever they want to keep up with and they're desperate just to survive so that mentality paired with i know you wearing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry right now or i know that you about to pull up in something nice and i could carjack you It's it's like be be a little bit more aware and smart about things and also, like, to say, like, and it's crazy because that's the same thing, like, I think it all, it, that type of rumor happens to every big artist because the same thing was said to Meek when he grew mm-hmm. up is that he wasn't welcome back in Philly. And, but my whole thing is, what does that even mean? And I think that that is because of the culture of what rap is. Rap is kind of like this starving man's mm-hmm. way. It's like, it's 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 jazz. It's it talks about the struggle. It 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 builds itself off the struggle of of an experience. And I think because it's real, it's poetry in motion, and and I think because these artists 
because so much of the world is like instant gratification and and accessibility and virability it, it becomes this thing it's kind of like when people win a lottery it's this idea that you know you didn't earn that money your money is because of me because i was buying tickets so some of that money's mine so some of your success is owed to me mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. you you better not act uppity you better not act different and it's crazy because you see um like rapper that died not too long before that um pnb rock from philadelphia like yep he was in california and 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 i and it's crazy because this same thing i've seen regular hood dudes do they go to other people's other states or other countries and go to the hood Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting because the way community works especially in like LA like for that situation it was like you gotta you gotta make sure you know you let people know you come in and, and I'd be like, I'm sorry and, but that that whole thing is like who the fuck are you I'm from Philly in with the PNV rock situation I can I can almost predict what he probably was like I'm from Philly we don't know nothing about like LA I mean you know what you hear about LA but like that right. whole you gotta you gotta touch down like you you gotta communicate with me that you in the city and that who are you and you know we ignorant from philly we right. rude we don't care we be like who are you and i don't know who said it but i don't know who it was that said but i saw an interview with this guy and they said only niggas gotta do that because when justin bieber come down and he play a show he ain't gotta say who he is come on why only black people black like and it's crazy because the man who was um the basketball player that was close for um childhood friends with George Floyd the one who he had they had looked like when they were younger he was a basketball player and he was talking about he was even kind of condoning that in that in that same instance he said yeah you gotta touch down and let people know why why is that our thing why is that okay that black men are not growing old Hmm. like why is that okay like I get it's a culture but I am not going to okay like that type of culture and and with this takeoff situation it it didn't even seem like that like he was at a community event it seemed like there were probably people around that it wasn't like he was by himself but I don't feel like the situation was checked because as people know, like if you go to some events, like I've been to places where people didn't have a gun maybe when they came in, but somebody handed them a gun during the event. Like if mm-hmm. we had a playground, they would hand them a gun through the gate. And it happens so often. And the thing is, people like to also make chaos. Like I'm going down Center City in the 4th of July. People just shoot in the air. People just be shooting to shoot because they see crowds of people and they want to cause chaos. People have done that. I've also been places where things have been quiet, laid low. The event ends, everybody go home. It ain't nothing. Not even a fight, no arguments, no nothing. So it's just crazy to see like such a young man's life is just born. And, you know, he's not even like, he just hitting the pinnacle and people talk about him as like, he's so quiet. He'd be the last person I would think. It's just like, yeah, but this it needs to be a bigger conversation of it. It's just a sad state of events that we are living in where you just saying that 
oh well like you know we want about it cry about it but it's just oh well that's just the way it is it doesn't have to be that way with gun violence especially so high in philadelphia and across the country gun violence is just extremely just horrible and is so many different things that can be done from like, like I said, like a groundwork level. Black America, but we also need to talk about gun control in the inner city, which is another different conversation because everybody can experience it the same, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to talk about it because it's so important because the way Black people will inter- like will make contact in gun violence is going to be different. It's just so different. Yeah. And when we talk about it, when we talk about the over-policing in, in Black communities and inner-city communities, we are talking about the fact that Black children will have interactions with guns from the time that they are probably five years old. As you're talking about poli- over-policing that's happening in schools. You're talking about policing in the community, which means they're seeing guns. Not even talking about the potential of the guns being bought in the community. They're becoming desensitized at early and earlier ages. And the mental effect that that is going to have on them is going to be crazy. Little black boys and little black girls seeing their black celebrities and people in their community just dying of gun violence. It's crazy. And vicarious trauma is a thing. Like you don't necessarily have to lose someone personally to gun violence to be traumatized by it. Um, and that's a part of some of the work that the agency that I work for does. They have a, a program um, called Together Through Trauma. So if you're in Philadelphia and you have experienced gun violence specifically, hit us up. <laughs> so you can actually contact 215-537-5367 extension 4005. The contact is Saida Martin. And we have services there that include um, community trauma workshops. There's free counseling, uh, trauma services, and things like that. Go on the website. It is cfarcounseling.org, cfarcounseling.org. do we are going to get into the big topic of today all right you ready uh Alyssa? i wish we had some like like some theme music topic of the day all right let's do it okay all right so our big topic today i have to give a disclaimer deals with you know domestic violence uh, child abuse and child death um is a hard one this one is pretty pretty difficult it was very difficult to read and you know and all of that it it, it was a lot um as a side aside to that uh our true our cases i don't remember if we talked about this in the beginning melissa uh did we say that our topic for this year what our for this season is going to be? No, I don't think we did. What? Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, my bad. No, no, no. You go. So this, did we? I don't think we did. But if we did, you hear it twice. This season, we are doing celebrity cases. Um, So we're, that's going to be our theme. We're going to be talking about uh, different 
famous people and famous stories. Some of them you might know, some of them you might not, but that's going to be our main theme and focus is these high profile cases. Yeah, like and because I think that it was important when picking this subject I thought about I thought about the the fact that yes there are like a lot of celebrity cases but like some of these celebrity cases I feel like like some of our our parents would know about them like they were really big then and then like I also thought about you know how they like they changed you know because a lot of these cases like do have impact because their celebrities do have an impact on the law and we and we're gonna talk about that in the future but like you know that th- these cases do reverberate through the system and that was like kind of like that's kind of really important because we get to see something happens and the uh, like the effect of that happening of the tragedy event is some type of change to the system to hope that this won't happen again even though it probably you know sadly it probably would but they would have more resources put into that area so yeah so we're going to get into today's case today's tragic 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 case is involving uh judith barcy so i remember being a little kid having my vhs tapes Yes, you Gen Zers, VHS tapes. You might see them in your local Goodwill or thrift shop. But yes, like me and Alyssa would have grown up on VHSs and I can smell the plastic of opening a fresh tape, of getting an orange tape when the Rugrats movie came out and and having to rewind it fully so that way you could watch it from the beginning because it doesn't automatically rewind. Oh my gosh, it, it was so crazy. I remember one time one of my tapes, like VHS is like the thing, um, the film came out of it. Like it just like shriveled out insanity. And one of my like few, like I had like a whole bunch of favorites. Like I had like Matilda, I heard this by I loved Barney, so I had like a Barney tape. Um, and The Land Before Time was what and all dogs go to heaven. Love that too. Aristocats loved it. Um, but I remember like these 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 movies and they were so important because they were just like little, they were perfect for me. Like I was a 90s kid and it was so amazing. What were some of your favorite like VHSs like that you can remember? Oh boy, I'm dating myself even further back than you. Um I definitely had land before time i didn't have the rugrats orange tape only because one of my dad's friends like um recorded it and gave it to us uh but i've seen the orange tape so i know exactly what you're talking about i had like three of the land before times yeah multiples of course aladdin lion king i remember having i used to watch muppet babies (laughs) I loved Muppet Babies um, so many when I was like like you said all dogs would have been oh like just the classics and the she was class- in a few of them too yes so like Judith Varsity um, was a child star so like she was like the 80s child star like quintessential so she would have pretty much been around like at the same time as like Drew Barrymore 
when you think of E.T. Like, so imagine, like, University had had her, had she had not passed, tragically been murdered, would have been around Drew Barrymore's age. Mm -hmm. And so when you put that into a, into retro, into like really picture that, you really see that this young girl had a whole life ahead of her. So she was like, she was a voice of Anne Marie on All Dogs Go to Heaven. And she was the voice of Ducky from A Land Before It's High. You remember the lisp. And it was so cute. And it was like, it was the best. And so she was just this cute little dumpling of a little girl. And she was really rising, like, insane. Like, she had been in Jaws, in, like, one of the Jaws movies. She had been in, like, several commercials. Um, and, like, she had been in little shows, like, Cheer. She had been in an episode, St. Elsewhere. She had been on an episode. She had done some movies. Like, she really was, like, in the 80s, like, just this budding star. And it was so crazy because like when you like think of like child stars like the discovery of child stars was very different back then like nowadays people become child stars from being discovered on on tiktok Instagram, tiktok right but back in, in it you had to get it from the real life so like as crazy as it sounds like people literally used to come up to you in malls like now that that's a huge scam but like literally people could get discovered from walking in malls like i know there are several models that were discovered in a mall. Like mm-hmm. people used to perform in malls. Like people used to perform little concerts in malls to try dance. and get discovered. To try to get discovered, or like after they being discovered, they would go to malls and do signings. Like the mall, the mall used to be the thing. So, like Judith Varsity was like quintessential. She came from that era. So. She was born in 1978 to um, parents Maria and Joseph uh, Barsi. Um, Joseph and Maria are, were considered, like, I guess, elder parents in a sense. So, well, they were. <coughs> because Maria was like 38. So sorry about that. 38. And Joseph was in 45 at the time. Um, Judith was born. Um, Judith is not an only child. She does have a half brother through Joseph. Um, he did not live with them um, during this time. I think he lived on the East Coast because I think that that's where they came from. The East, they um, before they came to Los Angeles where she was born at, they were on the East Coast. But before that, uh, Joseph and Maria separately came from Hungary, and they had fled Hungary in like the fifties after the Soviet um, occupation of Hungary. They came here, of course, for 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 a better life, like a better situation, a better circumstance, the American dream, as they say. And Maria really believed in that, especially living in Los Angeles. You see the stars, you see the stars on Hollywood, Hollywood, the big sign, and seeing movie stars. And she, I mean, she was gorgeous herself, like blonde hair, like really pretty. Like, and I think that she was just like. Well, if I can't do it, I would like my child to do it. So when yeah. was born, she was saying like, "Okay, we gonna make it happen." And like, how do you feel about that? Because like, I mean, I know, I know it's something to want, you know, f- like I mean to see something and be like, "Oh, I would like my kid to do that." Like if they play sports or they do an instrument, 
but to put them out on television at such an early age like that's crazy now that I have kids of my own I'm like uh, just knowing all the things that some of these child stars have started to come out and say recently about their experiences um and about just like how Hollywood has kind of shaped their self-esteem I don't personally think I would push for my kid to be in that like line of work but if they ever came to me and was like okay mom I really want to do this I'm really serious about it um I think it's cool I would I would pursue it for them in that way, but still have so many boundaries and so many guidelines because a lot of parents do, like we know, they push their kids because it's like, oh, I always wanted to be a superstar and I couldn't. So right. you you have the chance to live my dream out. Whenever, and sometimes in reality, the kid is like, I never wanted to do this. My mom just pushed me or my dad just pushed me because they wanted. And we've seen it time and time again with who? The Britney Spears parents, I think. Lindsay yeah. Lohan and her mm -hmm. like we've seen it time and time again the children get pushed out into the spotlight and they're the ones with major damage done to them at the end of it um just to live out their their parents like unrequited dreams so I as a parent now I don't think I would push for that and my kid is cute enough to be in commercials but I mean <laughs> I didn't want to have to say it but toot toot, I'm tooting your horn too. Cause like, honey, like you got cute kids. Like when you make cute kids, you be like, dang, I want everybody to know my kid cute. Like I kind of <laughs> want people to cute. It's like, I mean, like, listen, like you kind of want, like you be like, dang, I got the cutest kid. My kid look cute. And my kid could do that. And my kid can do this. And my kid could be, be anything they want to be. And I think it's just scary because, you know, having the public eye on you and your kids is a lot and your kids going to auditions having to also go to auditions and deal with failure very early on because i mean look at uh mary kate and ashley literally their first job as kids like on full house john stamos didn't want them so denial from a from babies And so it really, it really just like, it was, it really just shows you like, you know, it really starts on these patterns of things early on and these kids kind of take on a lot. It's just, it's a lot when you go, go in and superstardom. But I think Maria was just ready to take that head on. So from like an early age, like Maria was cultivating judith to be the next big star so she taught her how to pose how to talk articulately how to how to really like command a stage and like i mean in taboo she was adorable like she had like these little cute eyes long lashes and 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 high cheekbones like she was a quintessential cute kid and that cuteness worked out she was discovered while at an ice skating ring with her mother and like literally she started working in commercials and working her way up into what we kind of saw um with cheers and in movies and um saying elsewhere another movie she did was called uh fatal vision and i'm going to bring that up again um mm -hmm. later so so judith like had all of like the things going for her 
But there were other things behind the scenes that were happening that really were darkening the light that clearly were surrounding Judith. Amaria. Um, and that darkness was her father, um, Joseph. Joseph was a very abusive man. Mm -hmm. He abused Maria consistently. He was. <clears throat> so sorry about that. He was mentally and verbally abusive to Judith, making making her feel very uncomfortable, threatening her. Like some of the examples of the things that he would do was um, once one time uh, Judith was playing with a kite outside and Joseph wanted to use the kite and take it. And so he was trying to take it from her and Judith was like, no, like don't take it. Like it's not, no, you're going to break it. And so because she was upset and why, like in being a kid, Joseph took the kite from her and broke the kite up. Known like when, um, like for example, when she filmed the the Jaws sequel, and she had to go down to Florida. Joseph threatened her to say, like, you know what I said, I'll do to you if you don't if you don't come back, I'll kill you. Like he was always tormenting her and Maria, like consistently. And it was so crazy to think of it because you know Judith really never let any of this on. People that talked about working with her talked about like how how bubbly and happy and joyous she was, and how much of a light she was. And her mom really wasn't like one of those crazy like like stage moms. Stage moms, like she wasn't like dance moms, like she wasn't that way. She was determined, but yet she still had softness about her. She was caring. She was with Judith at all of these events. She went. Joseph was really never around um, for these times. Um, he was like a few events but not really joseph did have a, a job as a plumber and he, he went by the nickname plumbing joe and whatever sorry the, the <laughs> plumbing like, joe plumbing, like any anything any name oh my my bad never mind Arizona Joe. I don't know why because this man wasn't even from freaking Arizona. Like they were from like what? Like it doesn't even matter. Like don't even worse. I don't even want to. I don't. I don't even want to know where the name from. So he. It just seemed like he was jealous of success of Judith. And I mean, because I mean his like. So where you have a mom who I think is living a dream that she wanted for herself as a superstardom through a child but then you have somebody that's mad at the success of a child it's really just this toxic brewing thing and like it was it was it was consistent like beatings isolation but Judith like still was rising in fame and money um, she moved her family from the LA area to the San Fernando Valley in a nice stucco home in like a really like cul-de-sac community, really beautiful, like um home with like a nice front yard, and she was paying for like Judith was literally making a hundred K a year. She had and I say this all to say is that she was dealing in a situation where Judith was the main breadwinner and the resource maker in her family. So I want to do the math real quick. 100K in 
let's say the 1980s is worth today about well okay um it would kind of like it would increase to like three hundred and sixty thousand dollars but still to be like a child a child making that type of money you can definitely change the lives of yourselves and your parents um and it's just the same instead of being proud of her and being like that's my daughter like i i have part and i have half of her you know like he was a hater the biggest hater and and it's and it's so crazy because it's like there's also other things that were done like so maria did report um like the instances of abuse about like what was happening but um but it seemed that so in may of 1989 uh maria had reported abuse that judith was experiencing however the the agency charge of it in the area said um yeah but no because we can't prosecute basically just verbal and verbal and emotional abuse because there are no marks there are no bruises and so we can't really get anything done and this is coming from like the child services agency and it's not it's it's just it's crazy. It's like they're just saying that we can't we can't save every child. From my point of view, when she uh from my point of view, the child was the client, not the mother. So to one so one person, um, like the child abuse that was going on is saying that it's just hard to prosecute the emotional versus the physical because the physical you can say this is a bruise, it's a mark, and it's clear and concise. The bruises and marks that were happening were happening to Maria and mm -hmm. so and the intimidation and there was a, more intimidation and and I can't really say like everything was always always physical with Maria either because I think that it was just hard to determine because I think a lot of what Joseph had was yes he could have been beaten but a lot of what abuse is is psychological the feeling of being trapped and I think that because he has such a whole you the beating part, you don't really have to go there that often because you have such crippled this person's mind and this person's resolve to the point where you you make them a shell of who they were and the and they lose all sense of where their supports are and they kind of lose themselves. And then she's not from America, so I'm pretty sure her family isn't isn't from here most of her family could be also on the east coast where they came from um or could have like you know she doesn't have a permanency like her daughter is it and so where judith goes like the money goes and but it's kind of like what do you do because just because you have the research don't mean you really know what to do with it because you feel scared you feel like this person is all powerful all knowing the omnipresence of them is really serious. And so for people may think like, oh, well, she should have just took her because that's where the money was. But it's like, he had such a control beforehand 
that Judah just coming into the mix and having this money is so not even the thought process. And Judith, like, as much as, you know, she was bubbly and she had these high spirits, she was dealing with a lot. So one of the things that she was known for was her youthful appearance. So at 10 years old, though, Judith was still th um, three foot eight, which is pretty short for being 10 years old. And it's so, she, yeah, it's really short, like really. And so she had to get um, sh uh, hormonal shots. And since some statistics I found have shown that children who experience high levels of stress and um, from abuse or um, visually seeing abuse or having maltre maltreatment while in the home are faced with the um, effects of their pituitary gland, which um, helps produce the growth hormone that is vital to, um, to your needs. So um, some of the things that we need to talk about when we're talking about this abuse is that the earlier, like the earlier abuse that happens and the more, and, the, and, and if it's consistent throughout life, the more damaging it is as it gets older, as you get older. So it's quite easy to see that because this abuse cl clearly is consistent daily, like it's consistent daily and it's heightening, it's getting worse because Joseph is not stopping. He's, he's, he keeps threatening. He keeps, he keeps making, making these things happen. He's making people feel bad. He's doing stuff. He's saying things to his daughter that are making her feel unsafe. And she's dealing with also hormonal injections, which are due to something that is also due to the stress. And so it's a vicious cycle that keeps feeding itself. That's trauma. That's trauma. The and trauma, the, uh, it's a book. I'm actually in the process of reading it called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, oh, I heard of that. I can send you the PDF if you want to. <laughs> uh, but it, it just basically talks about the effects of trauma on people like it's a lot of people just think it's mental but it's physical like you said like she literally it was stunting her growth um and people don't realize like that has a lot of like issues with mental health like depression anxiety ptsd which ties right back into anxiety how you function in your relationships what you feel is normal um based on your life experiences she was probably very parentified because she's essentially the breadwinner um and paying the bills and uh, she has not only is she financially responsible I'm sure there's some emotional responsibility in there for her for her mother like you want to protect your mom and and make sure she's emotionally okay after she just got smacked down from your dad whether it was verbally or physically um that's putting her in a in a place of responsibility for her mother's emotional well-being all before the age of like 14 um and and it's just it's just so sad that her her mother wasn't in the mental state to say hey we're done I'm packing my daughter up because like you said where Judith goes the money goes and we're hiring security and I'm getting a restraining order against your dad, but that could also tie back into cultural things, education. Did she even know these things? Was there anybody in her corner to be like, hey, you know, you can get a PFA against him and he can't come within a certain amount of feet of you or Judith. Like we can get security. 
but she she was making enough money to hire security. If we gotta have around the clock security out here, and if they see him, do whatever you must. Mm-hmm. But clearly, like you said, abuse, domestic violence is all. It's mostly mental. It's just like with just like with pimps, they don't have, they don't always have to smack the girls around to get them to do what they want. You have to think about the mental torment somebody must be or manipulation and control somebody must be going through to sell their bodies so imagine a person you committed your life to you you may have come over did they come over together or was one where they no. already here yeah like they came over separately so okay so i think i'm wrong about like joseph living like in the east coast but like i do know that there is another child that there is a son but i don't believe that it is the full brother of of judith um okay and Arizona Joe literally because he used to live in Arizona at one point. Okay. So he lived in Arizona for 15 minutes. Get on my face. <laughs> but like... um, other things also to note about Joseph is that oh, Joseph was an, like a really bad alcoholic. Like, he was okay. drinking like a lot. Like how they met was drinking. So like they met. So a lot of the, this will happen in our like in Philadelphia. Like you, you have communities that meet up immigrants from the community that meet up. So like you'll have like a Russian bar or you'll have like an um a barbershop for Asian men and it's just a community well like where people can sit down and just have this time there are immigrants from this place mm-hmm. like from like you can have people from Vietnam or China or like from this place to that place and they meet in this kind of place and like kind of find community and this is kind of where they found each other and during the time our friend is sick here, so bear, yeah. bear with us. She's not feeling that. Going through it, y'all. I'm going through it, and we might not even be able to edit my, out my season because it's just <laughs> so it's so fast. But uh, he had been like they had both been married before. Like they had come in here older, and like they had this child, and. And it just like his drinking never stopped, and his and he was worse when he drank. Of course, like the abuse was worse. He was possessive. He, like he had this idea, this broadening personality that would just take over. And in the beginning, before Judith, it's like when you first meet somebody, it seems protective. It seems okay, but it slips because it's just like this person is broken. This is a broken person who is using alcohol to cope with something and they're not getting the proper support and nothing is being done to mitigate the situation. And And if my suspicions are right, I'm pretty sure therapy and like support systems were not pushing Joseph to get to stop in a, an effective manner. Absolutely not, especially for that time period for a person not to stereotype, but in those like countries like Russia and Hungary, like aggressive men is a thing. Like that's normal to be aggressive and like you said, protective. And it might come off as like, oh, this person just wants to protect me because they love me so much. But in reality, there's a there's manipulation and control underneath that. And it's like I'm the man of this household and I feel like he was thinking I'm the man of this household I'm the one in charge and then I have my tiny child is actually the the one with holding the purse right 
and, and is famous and is able to provide this life that I was supposed to be able to provide for them because I'm the man. And his ego, I believe, got in there paired with the drinking, which, like I said, culturally is probably a little normal to drink heavily. Um, right. Paired with all of that, we don't know their their circumstances. They were fleeing their country. So right. there probably was trauma there. And all of that in this big, bigger ball of trauma and snowballed into uh, creating a monster. Yeah. Like, even when they talk about, like, like their upbringing like maria her main name is Verkovs, and so she was born like in a royal southern university town whereas joseph came from a more industrial area that was rougher like he mm-hmm. had apparently a miserable childhood he really had no family no mother no father and like that's very weird because like i think in hungary Hungary, like it was a very family centric community. It's not really about this lone wolf mentality, but he was really like a lone wolf, and so he's he's really just a ticking time bomb, like of someone that probably came from a situation that probably wasn't really good, fled a situation that got worse, had alcohol for years and years and years because clearly like when when they're having judith like they're in like they're, they're in they're about to be 40 late 30s and and mid 40s so this is an older man who has been drinking probably for years and years and years and years, and years. probably since childhood because in other countries drinking early is not seen as a something abnormal Right. It's really in America where it's like you there's a, a drinking limit or whatever. So he probably did come from a place where it was acceptable for him to be all these things because as we know in society as a male, it's okay to be angry and aggressive. Those are emotions and behaviors that are acceptable and easily accessed. Yeah. And it's, a, it's allowed for them to be those things. They can't be punks. They can't be or what they would consider punk or sensitive or vulnerable is so they lose themselves in that emotion and it becomes they become a toxic well of just not knowing how to because they compartmentalize everything everything is compartmentalized it all these things i'm feeling cry i want to cry out is stuck away and they're having to rely on anger and they're fueled on anger and that is self-destructive and it destroys everything around you like joseph like during the time that this is all happening during their marriage and and while judith was rising in her stardom um had been arrested for drunk driving like he had been in fights and brawls with like with um he had apparently served time for killing a man in new york at one point so that's where the east coast came in like i knew that there was some east coast yeah so like he um he's really definitely been someone that has not been just this great pinnacle and he just got worse and worse and worse and I think that the success that his daughter was having at the early like at the early age of five years old was just he just hate he just hated that of course but that should, should be what you want you want your child to have a better life than you had you should want your child to to succeed and be the best they can but he just could not see past that and other people knew about the abuse like you know one of his neighbor 
friends. I don't know how this man had friends. I'm going to kill my wife. I'm going to kill my wife. Like, he said it over so many times. And then, like, his friend will always say, like, no, you can't do that. What about your child? He's like, well, I'll just have to kill her, too. Just so matter-of-factly. And it's just crazy. And, and to deal with that situation, even Judith at an early age really just was compartmentalizing as well. Mm-hmm. And even though her front-facing emotion was happiness, it's still toxic to hold back all of that pain and all of those other things that you're feeling. And she exploded. It's uh, said that during one of her filmings behind the scenes, like she had a basically a mental breakdown. Like, you know, she had she had just blew up and it just felt like she just couldn't take it anymore and this resulted in her being referred to like a psychiatrist and her mother taking her there and you know there is potential that there were signs of the acute abuse and stress that uh, she was dealing with and I'm sure because it wasn't a secret the thing about it is the abuse wasn't the secret it was the fact that it was so loud and so straightforward that the fact that the failure happened, the failures continued, were more astonishing than anything. Because it was a blaring siren. Like, this is happening to this little girl. She needs to be removed from this situation. And as sad as it is, because I definitely work in a, I, I work in this field of, like, um, social work. And, and as sad as it is to see families break apart, the truth is, is that Judith should have been removed from her home. I was wondering, like, what were the mandated reporter rules at that time? But that, to me, would constitute, if I were the psychiatrist, I would be like, we need to be calling Childline to at least have reports on file about abuse she's witnessing, like, and he's being verbally and emotionally abusive. And if it's affecting her mental health like that, somebody's got to step in. And whatever child protective services, like for us is DHS, DHS would have stepped in and been like, hey, we're going to keep an eye on things. Um, because like you said, if he was mainly physically abusing mom, it's like that fine line between what do you want us to do? If you're just yelling at your kid and threatening them, you're not really, it's like when somebody is getting stalked, they can't, they, they won't do anything until they physically harm you until they kill you basically they they and some of those laws are changing but they're just like well he didn't put his hands on you or didn't do anything so we can't do anything you can you can threaten them and follow them and 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 just make their lives miserable but you didn't put your hands on this child so I can see them being like what do you want us to do about it it hasn't gotten physical with the child and I would think because she was a celebrity at the time, maybe somebody would have stepped up and been like, hey, this this child is in their eyes like more important um, because they're more visible. But it just seems like once again, and we've had this in our other um, episodes when it came to children, once again, the system failed them and People fail them. If I had a neighbor, if you came to me and were like, yeah, I'm probably going to kill my husband, I'd be like, okay, girl, because I say that every other day, I'm going to kill mine. But like, if you were like, no, I'd probably take my kid out too. Then I'd be like, whoa. I'd be like, oh, you're you're serious. 
And either I'm what? going to warn your husband, like, hey, she says she was going to kill you and the baby. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you might want to skedaddle. And run. And it's crazy. It's like I said, I don't want, I don't believe in the breaking of a family, but like, I just feel like there is a, so there is things called protective factors. When we talk about, you know, your ability to sustain you and your family is these having these protective factors and one of those is is having the factor to protect your child from danger um and if you do not have that self like that protection of your child that is a you basically needing support and getting that protective factor addressed as I, I and i know as much as she tried she tried she tried to report and i'm sure it felt like she was being the door was being slammed in her face at every chance she got mm-hmm. like oh my god like one of the stories was like judith after film when she was filming like i said when she was filming jaws like her dad's like was, was had threatened her before she go that he would that if they didn't come back he would kill her he would kill them and when while when while in florida like after they were done filming after she was done probably the reshoots that she probably had to do while there did you know when you film is reshoots and stuff like that you um she had went to new york to visit her uncle who was maria's brother and when they visited she had called her dad and he said well you remember what i said to you you better come back like basically the, the just the threat and, and they and literally because of the distrust that that had caused and because of the Maria had had about the situation she left she left she cut the trip in New York short and went right back to California back to hell and it was times when Judith was like talking about the situation that was going on in the home that like about her dad's drinking and stuff like that and like his and um a few years however before the incidences of this um of joseph did stop drinking he tried as he may to you know get maria on his side but he still wasn't a good person he still was abusive and stuff like that but he tried to make it so like maria wouldn't leave because he felt like she was putting in the work because that those things of reporting and like the police and all of these things coming in were like her taking these steps to leave and he tried to reconcile with her, but she was just like, no, I am done. It's just like, you have broken me down to the point I am numb to you. Mm-hmm. And any tries to make from here on out is mute. It's a mute point. And it really, it just really just shows that he really was just out of his freaking noggin to really believe like you think that just because you stopped drinking, you're still an abusive piece of shit. Yeah, like he just couldn't get it. And and sadly all of this comes to a head on July 27th, 1988. Neighbors um woke up to the sound of an explosion and was engulfing um a home in their community. Firemen and officers came to the scene and found three bodies inside of the home, um, two adults and one child. Uh, that Maria and Judith had been killed prior to fi- the fire being lit in the home. Um, Joseph had woken up in that morning and had made the, the ultimate decision and the final decision in his grasp of power in the head as they sleep. Um, Judith was still in her canopy bed 
um, with her with her pink TV that her father had also bought her after and one of his incidences of outburst and lit the um, poured gasoline all over the home and and flicked a light um, and right after um, shot himself also like the coward he is in the head mm. was had just turned ten years old the um the month prior a young and vibrant child just taken from this world all because of a man that just couldn't that couldn't just allow them to live without him and who saw his world shrinking so small and decided that the only way to enact some form of power and feel strong in these moments was to to hurt the people that loved that and wanted them to and wanted him to love them the most and it's so it's so sad to say that this is not an uncommon occurrence common for children who witness abuse um in their home rather they're witnessing it or experiencing it that they are especially for young boys uh for young boys it's more they're more likely to be the violent committers and for young girls it's common that they will be uh, victims of violent crime going forward they will have more interactions with police they will have more um hospitalizations higher um cases of um of, of personality disorders such as bipolar mm-hmm. um that they will suffer from disturbances to their height so they will have growth um concerns uh that so pretty much have failure to thrive uh because how can you thrive in such a toxic environment with such toxic things like how your body's in survival mode so you're not thriving you're surviving millions of children worldwide deal with these things and still there is no one way fix to to fix all of this no I, i'm so sorry like i'm I just like i just think like this is just so crazy like to me that you know and all his neighbors and all the neighbors to say was he's finally done it so i, I do want to say before we wrap up though um the national domestic violence hotline is 800-799-7233 you can also text start s-t-a-r-t to 88788 there's a chat option as well if you are on the um the website their languages english spanish they have a bunch of other languages through interpretation services um so definitely, if you know somebody, if you are the somebody, it's never too late. Well, actually, it may eventually be too late, but get help. Call the hotline. They can give you resources. They can even just walk you through whatever you are going through mentally. Um, but you don't have to stay. You don't deserve to be in an abusive relationship. Um, you this is not love. It's not a a person being just overly protective or they just love you so much. They have to do this to you. No, you deserve to be at peace. You do not deserve to have yourself or your children in a situation that could cause them or yourself harm. So again, help is available. You can speak with someone. They are 24-7-800-799-7233. Another number I would like to give out, um, 
especially we have safeguards in 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 place in places like Pennsylvania, and I'm pretty sure look at your local ordinances. Uh, we are mandated reporters ourselves. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child is being abused or neglected, there is a 24/7 um, child line. Um, two one five um six eight three six one sixty one hundred. The state hotline that was the Philadelphia line. The state hotline is eight hundred nine three two zero three one three. Please be a voice for the for the voiceless. Please be the voice of change that you want to see in your community. Please do not let um these children be lost in the dark and be lost in the system. Um be the help if you if you have the ability to be a support in some way um do that um we ask that you guys we will also be putting that this in the description um these this these numbers and the information we'll be putting um information to these to these articles the statistical information that i talked about today um please you guys when you are dealing with this you sometimes can't find your way out. Be that hand that pulls them into the light with you. Do not let these people be lost into the dark. To these people that are okay with with filling their life with with pain and suffering. You are the change that you wish to see in the world. And I thank you all for listening. We will see you guys again next week for our next episode. Peace.